Uh, we're going to dig into John again. If you haven't been here uh, for a little while or um, if you're, you're new, uh, we're digging into John's Gospel. It's a part of the Bible where we really um, are encouraged to, to think about who this Jesus guy is. And today we're going to do that, but we're going to have our last our last real dig from John the Baptist, uh, this figure who has sort of loomed really large in the early chapters of John's Gospel. So uh, join me. Let's pray that God will change all of our hearts uh, as we hear his word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this gathering of people who want to hear from you. Um, I don't know if uh, everyone here trusts in you, and I don't know if it's been easy to trust in you this week for them, and I don't know if right now they're feeling like they're ready to hear your word. But Father, together we ask for all of each other, that you would prepare us, mind and heart. We thank you for this ministry of others in praying, leading us in prayer, in music that that has begun this process. And Father, we pray now that you might ready us to hear your word, that we might receive things from you from heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, Jesus' ministry, oh, if you can get... The TV, oh, the TV probably is working. Ah, oh, great. Jesus' ministry is really kicking into gear. He is spending some time closer to the centre, the Judean countryside. Um, and uh, a bit further north, where there's plenty of dunking water, John is still going hard with his baptismal ministry as well. So water sports are in fashion in Israel. And notice John, the evangelist, so the guy who wrote the book, not John the Baptist, he's again clarifying the timing of things. Because... John's really, as we've always, as we keep on hearing, is so careful with his timing, just in case someone could discredit this account of Jesus, this eyewitness account, because, oh, hold on, no, 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 that can't have happened. John was, John was in prison. No, 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 this was the pre-arrest segment of John the Baptist's ministry, in case you knew the history and thought John was just making things up. And so we get this accurate time period where we've got actually these two guys in competition. Everyone wants to get baptised, but who are you going to go to? So it happens that John's disciples get into an argument with a certain Jew. Now, that's probably the most accurate translation, a certain Jew, not the Jews. We have no idea who this guy or girl is, and we don't even know exactly what they're arguing about. All we know is the broad topic, Jewish rituals for cleansing. Now, look, was this Jew a follower of Jesus and was, was telling John's disciples, oh, no, Jesus' baptism is better than your, your John's baptism? Or was this a Jew who took exception to both of these baptismal ministries, you know, not happy with these new innovations on his traditional religion? We just don't know. But what's really interesting is what comes out. You see, they, they, they get back to their teacher and they're all worked up about it. And when it, it starts out as a, as a discussion about spiritual, godly things, ritual purification, you know, spiritual stuff, and it ends up with competition. You see it there? Teacher, the guy who was with you across the Jordan, that guy you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. It starts out with religion, but then eventually, well, you know, as Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It comes out what's really going on when they go back to their teacher. What we, what we really care about is your influence, Rabbi. We don't want you to, to, to become less important. We don't want everyone going to this guy. Now, it's about influence. And unfortunately, that's actually quite a familiar story. I, I bet in your mind, if I say to you, what about something that starts off spiritual, becomes about ambition and competition and prestige, you could probably think of a few Christian leaders that you've got in your head who recently have kind of, or in the last years, 
have, have, have had that be their story. Mark Driscoll started a church for people in Seattle who would otherwise never get to hear the gospel. And thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ through it. And yet as his church grew, his power grew, his influence grew, these things became more important to him than, than acting in a way that honoured Jesus. Hillsong New York was started in 2010. Uh, by 2017, senior pastor Carl Lentz's friendships with names like Bieber, Kardashian, Jenner, Oprah, Baldwin, they were making the news. But they also meant that he was only making it to church once every month or so to preach at his own church. And by 2020, he was fired after an affair and charges of narcissism and deception. I mean, C.J. Mahaney, James McDonald, the, the, the list goes on and on. Bill Hybels. These are the men who used to be the good guys. This is the thing. These aren't the, the, the bad people we've always said were so, so, so bad. These are people who we used to... Oh, they're ours. It's not like they all started out as wolves. But maybe some of them did. But power and influence, they are insidious. Popularity and competitiveness worm their way into our hearts and minds. I want you to stop and ask the question about yourself. When was the last time you realised popularity, competitiveness, affected the way you responded to someone who you otherwise would love? Now, in this moment of temptation, we see the wisdom of John the Baptist. Because two big things we're going to see tonight, well, there'll be a bit of a fun bit about the Trinity stuck in the middle, but the two big things we're going to do is the wisdom of John the Baptist and the worship of John the Baptist. And we're going to see these three bits, first of all, about his wisdom. Now, the first is John's wisdom in receiving his lot. John the Baptist is willing to be John the Baptist and not John the Christ. He's cool with that. He's happy with being nothing more. He's not looking for an upgrade on his influence. Doesn't need to aspire to reach his full potential. Because you know what? I bet he could have done a lot more. He could have probably done more preaching, don't you think? He probably could have led a whole bunch more people in really helpful ways and improved their lives and led them closer to God. He's a, he's a case study in unfulfilled potential, a waste of potential. And he was cool with that because it brought more honour to Jesus. It focused more attention on Jesus. If he had have reached his full potential, it would have been counterproductive for the kingdom of God. This is the wisdom of John. Verse 27, No one can receive a single thing unless it's been given to him from heaven. So I'm going to use the, do the thing that I've been given to do from heaven. And I don't need to do anything else. Are you a dad? Well, don't be dreaming and worrying about your career and becoming great. Just put your energy into being a dad. Receive what you've been given from heaven. If you're a mum, you don't need to have it all. Receive what you've been given from heaven. I'm not saying don't have a job or anything like that. What I'm saying is, is that the objective, the, 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 the desire of your heart, well, they can be satisfied with the good things that God has given you to do. Even if there might be bits and pieces that you, yeah, you could have done, but you didn't end up doing it. It might even mean sacrificing some of your potential for the blessing of the kingdom like what John did. And so John tells his disciples, look, you, you, you guys know this about me. Come on. You yourselves can testify to my testimony. You know what my job is. My job is to tell people that he is more important than me, that he is the Christ and that he is coming. In fact, you've got to wonder what was going on in those disciples' hearts. You see, why are they still John's disciples by now? 
if they'd been listening to John. And that's John saying what John's message is. Why are they still John's disciples and not Jesus? See, John could have been a superstar. He was a superstar. And then he chose to become a nobody. And he seemed very happy doing it. All right, second element of John's wisdom is his ability to differentiate. His ability to differentiate. Now, what do I mean by this word, differentiate? Differentiation is, is recognising that what is you, what is me, and what is someone else? What is my role and what desires and dreams for me actually belong to somebody else other than me? Now, it's easy to take others' expectations on ourselves. Like, we do it way more than we think. If you enter a work culture or a school culture... It, it shapes you. It's almost impossible for it not to. I mean, what's, what's normal in our culture provides like this upper and lower range, and we can choose somewhere between that range, but we tend to not go outside it. We don't do anything too wild or wacky or freaky, do we? Wild or wacky or freaky, well, that's only defined by what's normal. Because if you go to Africa or the Philippines or North America, something different is wild, wacky and freaky. We are affected by other people's expectations. So over time, you just realise no one at this job actually leaves work before a respectable quarter to six. So it seems like you just have to do that. Over time, your parents' expectations for your life can become yours or can become not yours, but they can become a noose around your neck, making you feel that certain things are failure and certain things are success. Maybe how much your mates drink somehow becomes how much you have to drink when you're in order to be with them. Or how everyone else at church dresses, acts or speaks makes you feel like there's a, a should in the air at church as well that you don't live up to. See, it's easy to feel like we should not disappoint people. We should make other people happy. But John the Baptist disappoints his followers here. He's cool with that. He knows that other people's expectations for him do not have to be his expectations for him. He's differentiated. He's made in the image of God. He knows that God is the ruler of the universe and he was made to be a little, little mini ruler underneath God. And the first place he has to rule is himself. Other people's expectations for you do not make your choices for you. That's a responsibility God has given to each one of us. So when that pressure comes from his disciples, and you're going to get that pressure from, we always get pressures, don't we, from other people? It's normal. The pressure, when they, they, they don't understand his willingness to become less important, when his attitude makes no sense to them, he responds in this, telling them what's true. I've received this ministry from God. I'm just, I'm just the best man. I'm not the groom. And I'm happy when everyone's looking at him. And sometimes you might need to do that to yourself. Tell yourself the truth, because everyone else's voices are going to be loud. Tell yourself the truth and make your own choice to honour Jesus. All right. Uh, first one. What was the first one? I can't remember. John's wisdom. Um, I have to go back, trying to remember what, what I call my points. That's right, his willingness to receive his lot. Second one from John, his, his ability to be differentiated. And his third one is his completed joy is in having less his completed joy is in having less. He not only learned to put aside others' expectations, but even to cultivate joy as he ignores them. And so John doesn't just accept his limitations, he's happy about them. Have you ever been happy about a thing that you're not good at doing that you'd like to be able to do? I, I, that's not me. I want to be good at everything. 
I want, I want, and I want everyone, I want to know everything, right? And I've got a bad memory. And so I know very little because I can't retain. Has anyone ever had to tell you, hey, relax, you're not Jesus. Don't take the world on your shoulders. You're not meant to be God. And you've thought, yeah, I guess it'd be, it'd be great if I could do this extra thing. I'll just have to accept that I can't. And John's like, no, that's, 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 that's rookie. That's, those are rookie numbers. Don't just accept that you can't. Rejoice that you can't. This is the, this is the thing. God's given you this job and be happy with it. A humble joy. A humble joy John has. It's beautiful. Not me, but it's beautiful. And that would have been harder for John, I think, in some ways than for you. See, he didn't have other people telling him, relax, you're not Jesus. John had to tell other people, hey, guys, you relax. I'm not Jesus. Don't try and make me into him. He had followers who thought he was that big and that important. And they set it up as a problem. Look, everyone's going to him. Look how desperately bad this is for your reputation. And John's like, yeah, it's pretty awesome. The wisdom of John. Now, what happens next is that the, the author reflects on this little encounter and John's wisdom. And as he does so, he gives us this, this one of these beautiful little magical insights into the Trinity. And we're just going just to hear that now, what the heart and the interactivity inside God is like. Oh, sorry, could you flick me through to the next... Um, next um, Picture slide. Um, now we talked a few weeks about God ex- a few weeks ago about God existing in three persons: uh, the Father, who is God; the Son, who is God; and the Holy Spirit, who is God. And yet, who are so completely united that it's most true to speak of them together as one God. Now, how does that work? These next few verses are just just you view if you're like, I wonder what God talks to God about. <laughs> we're getting we're getting the inside of God here. Verse thirty-one. The one who comes from above is above everything. The one who comes from the earth is from the earth and speaks from the earth. But the one who comes from above heaven is above everything. So this is a commentary on, on what's just happened. So this is about John, John the Baptist. John is earthly. But this other figure, this Jesus, he is above everything. And the lessons learned from the earthly one pale into insignificance compared to the eyewitness report of someone who has eyewitnessed the very throne room of God. Because that's his natural habitat. And so in verse 32, we have here, the one who comes from above has revealed things from above. Do you remember a few weeks ago, he told Nicodemus that anyone who wants to live in God's kingdom must be born again. And yet it seems that most people won't trust what Jesus says. It's this travesty. You've got someone who's been in the very inner sanctum of God and shares those things, and yet Nicodemus and others can't bring themselves to trust him. And in fact, whatever Jesus says is so closely identified with what God is saying, like they're the same thing, that if anyone accepts Jesus' testimony, then you're agreeing that God is truthful. You hear that? Hear that? If you accept, believe what Jesus says, then you're saying, yep, God is, God's, God's got it right. Because those words are the same. Verse 33, if you believe Jesus' words, you're really believing God. Here's how the bits work together. So it's great. If you've got this in front of your eyes, that's really, really helpful to to see what he's doing. This is sort of verse 31 through to 36. The Father sends the Son. The Son speaks the words of the Father. And why is he able to do that? Because the Father has given the Son, so he's given to the Son, so just 
to make it clearer, the Spirit. The Son speaks the words of the Father accurately. We know that because the Father has given the Spirit to the Son without limits. So you could think that in the Old Testament, you think, well, God's given the Holy Spirit out before. Sure, he'd sent the Holy Spirit to prophets to reveal God's word to people and have it written down. But here, here God throws out the measuring cup. There's like, there's like no more sort of like me with the oil and I'm just there and trying to pour it and it just dribbles down the edge and I'm just getting it all over the kitchen. And God's just like, yeah, who cares about the measuring cup? He's just, it is all out. The Holy Spirit is unlimitedly given to the Son. And there's a little word here that happens twice that really matters. It matters both times that it's used. In verse 32 and 33, because it all just sounds like nice spiritual things until you see the logic of where it's going. Verse 32, verse 32. If you believe Jesus, you believe God. Then verse 33, because Jesus speaks God's words, and how do I know that Jesus speaks God's words? Because he's not just given Jesus a taste of the Spirit, but he's sent him on him completely. And that guarantees that whatever Jesus says is the word of God. What does that all mean? It's like the Holy Spirit is God's breath. The breath on which his words are carried. When God speaks out his, his breath, his words are carried along with perfect clarity. And the Father sends the Son. The Son speaks the words of the Father by the Spirit whom the Father has sent upon him. And why all of that? Because he loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. He has given everything into his hand. Now, if you're trying to think, what's going on in the Trinity? If you're trying to think, what, what, is, what is God thinking about? What, what, what is his plan and purpose? Well, if you don't yet get that for God, everything is about Jesus, then you're missing, you're not reading John very well. Do you hear where this is moving and leading to? The Father is sending the Son to make him prominent. He's sending the Spirit just to, to give him the words to say. Everything here is about him. For God, it is all about his Son that he sent into the world. God thinks that Jesus is important. Jesus is a priority for God. How much so? Well, this is why verse 36 is the punchline to this logic. It's not just a little great verse to use for an evangelistic conversation. That's the reason why whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. See, this is where we end up. Because... Jesus is so important to God because the Son is so important within the Trinity for God the Father. We don't end in a self-improvement scheme from John the Baptist with his wisdom. With, you know, here's some ways to be really you know, wise and good in your, in your life and not be differentiated and, and it's, it's all, no, do you trust the Son or not? It all comes down to that. The first half of this talk is just pales in insignificance in comparison. Because the love of the Father for his Son is so great that there is no other question. What do you do? What are you, how are you treating my Son? Do you trust him? Do you believe him? That's all there is. God's great plan for humanity was to have his Son come and to, to reconcile back to God this glorious, in this glorious self-giving love way, a people for him. And, and to mis so to mistrust Jesus is to mistrust God. To reject Jesus' offer of peace is to say to God, God, your son's not enough for me. 
and that is if you if you see what he was building there in that trinity section that is an, an absolute insult to god it is working against what he's been trying to work for when he gives this much of himself, sending the Son, breathing out the Spirit, and through them and the eyewitnesses telling you, hey guys, this is the one I care about. God is so caught up in his Son that he's placed him at the centre of everything. Now, look, I'm not saying everyone should already have known this. It's not, it's not exactly obvious. It's, it's, it's not you look out at the sunshine and you see, oh, God values his son above everything else. Like, you, you don't know that. But, but that's why he sent Jesus to tell us. That's why there's all this stuff about eyewitness testimony. It's not that, oh, you're dumb, you should have known this, you're, you're so sinful for, for not, you know, turn back to God. It's, you, there's no way you could have known this. And in my graciousness, I'm telling you what I care about. Now you know. The Father saying to you, my son is the one that matters in this cosmos. He's the one I made it all for. How you treat him matters to me. And I'm telling you now so that you don't miss it. This weird, unusual word from heaven makes it known. But John 3.36 kind of rings pretty hard still, doesn't it? He who has the son has life. He does not have the Son, does not have life, but God's wrath remains on him. Uh, your sin is very serious here. But really, you see how on top of it, to reject God's mission of mercy through his Son is actually the thing that means that God's wrath remains on you. In God's final gambit to, to rescue us from ourselves, to, to save us from the mess in our hearts and from our disconnection from him, he didn't sacrifice a pawn, a knight, or even a queen, but the king. And all you need to do is ask the son. That's all you've got to do. He's so at the centre of things. He's so important that your sin always is, always is, not, is unimportant in comparison. Just go ask the son. Because it's all about him. In the best possible way, it's not about you. It's all about him. And God is calling you to be reconciled to him. Through his son. See, it's good to learn from John the Baptist's wisdom, important skills for any human, accepting your lot, differentiation, rejoicing in your limitations. But, but now do you see the real wisdom is learning from John's worship? You see, John honours the Son. That's why he's happy to give up ministry. He's happy when Jesus increases, even if it means he decreases. John the Baptist is the ultimate wingman, right? You want him if you're going out to the pub. He is the best man, the guy you want at your wedding because he's rejoicing in your joy. Now, one last thing I want to give you is how John got there. How did John get so good? Because I'd like to be that guy. I'd like to not be self-important and yet I find myself being so stupidly self-important even in my, within my own family at times. How do we get there? Now, um, there's this guy who used to be famous but like isn't anymore, so I don't know why I'm using him. But anyway, he said something really interesting. His name is Gore Vidal, and uh, he said this. He said, whenever one of my friends succeeds, a little part of me inside dies. This, Chris reminded me of this quote the, uh, the other week, and I thought it's, it's great. Whenever a friend succeeds, a little something in me dies. Is that you? Sometimes? See, where does humble joy come from? It's not natural. And whenever you try and just put humble joy on, it's never quite right. You still feel a twinge when someone succeeds at something you wish you succeeded at. How, how, do you, how do you make it come from the heart? I mean, by the way, it, it, is, it is right and good 
to take on a humbly joyful attitude even when you don't feel it, okay? I'm not saying just like, oh, you have to feel it or it's not true. No, no, no. That is godly discipline and doing what you don't feel like doing is, is, is beautiful freedom in Christ, right? But how do we get that attitude to flow naturally from the heart of who we are, like it obviously did from John where he had joy in it? This is how we do it. There's a, I don't know how to explain it. Um, uh, one of my friends in Brisbane who I learned a lot from, he explained this about, there's like a scale from the left-hand side to the right-hand side. We'll go with, this is the right-hand side and this is the left-hand side. Okay, we'll go with your, your point of view. And, and, and for him, this scale is, what are you worshipping? What, what really is at the centre of your life? What is the thing that makes you safe and secure and heals your heart and, and solves the problems? Now, on the left-hand side, you go over here, and he's got in this category, if you are going to yourself, things, or other people to make you feel safe, secure, soothed, the, the, the thing that's going to ultimately heal your heart. And then there's a sort of continuum where you can kind of be right at one end there, or you could be right at this other end, the right-hand side, where it's, it's God. And God is the one that you're always going to. He, he, when you're down, you go straight to him because you know he's better than ice cream. When you're down, you don't, you don't look for validation from a human. Like you might get that a bit later, but you go straight to him because you, you know he's the one who's going to fill that hole in your heart. He is God. He is the one who gives life. He is the one to go to. One of the things that my friend noticed is that people on the left-hand side, when we worship things other than God, those things don't fill the hole. And so if I'm on this side and I've been worshipping my work and all of a sudden someone else gets a promotion that I deserved and I know I deserved it, I go down, right? But if I'm on this side, someone else gets a promotion that I know I deserve, but I, I'm, I, I am so full of joy because I know God. Someone else gets a promotion, that's a good thing for them. That's party, Right? You can take him out for a drink on Friday after work. Because my heart is full. When we worship Jesus, we are empowered to celebrate other people's victories. Even ones that make us feel smaller. Instead of sitting there, oh, what does this mean about me? Oh, what does this mean about me? Oh. No, I'm taken care of. I, I go to Jesus, not my job, to, to have my heart restored and saved. And all of a sudden, all the good things that happen to other people become our joy too. See, this is what John knew. See, John loved the groom. He was, that's why he's the best man. And that's why he could be happy when he was utterly outshined. Because he had Jesus' love in his heart. Now look, if you follow Jesus, well, look, this is, this is what we're working towards, right? This is where we're trying to go. We're trying to get to the right-hand side. We're trying to worship Jesus, we want to have him be the one that we go to for things. Now, the problem is, is that our hearts are pretty dodgy. As John Calvin said, they're like manufacturing sort of plants for, for idols. We want to go to other things. And that's normal for us. That's, that is, that is, but we want to be moving from the left-hand side to the right-hand side. Going to Jesus, practicing going to Jesus, not looking to relationships, not looking to work, not looking to other things. And we want to do that on Monday morning as well as on Sunday night. On Tuesday morning. Maybe by a few years' time, we'll get to Wednesday and we'll still have it, right? Then you've got growth group on Wednesday night and you'll be all good again. See, if someone looked at your life, my question is, and I hate asking it about myself, 
but we've got to ask it. Could you be, if someone looked at your life, do you reckon that you could legitimately be accused of worshipping Jesus? What we're going to do, we'll just, take, I'll just leave you with that. We're going to take a moment to consider that. We're not going to bag ourselves out because we're not who we should be. We're going to just keep taking steps towards Jesus, towards the right-hand side, right? The next step we're going to take is we'll pray together, ask him to forgive us, and then we'll have communion together with joy because we know that he will forgive us. And we'll celebrate that as a family. We will together worship Jesus by doing that. Okay? Let's pray. Let's confess. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you've told us how important your son is to you and the role that he plays so that we don't insult you by rejecting him, by disobeying him. But Lord, we, we, we do. And we so often go to things, to human people, to ourselves rather than to you, to give us joy. To, to, to validate who we are, to, to, to set a bar for, oh, I'm okay. Heavenly Father, please, we ask, move us to the right-hand side. Move us to go to Jesus more often. Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Friday night. Father, make it, we pray we would go to you first, that we'd honour your Son, and that like John the Baptist, we would worship him so that our hearts will be full and with energy to love and serve others and be, be happy when they succeed rather than have a little part of us die. Father, we just look forward to having communion together now and we look forward to having joy together in remembering what your son did that has healed our hearts and has washed us clean and forgiven us from those sins that we've just confessed to you. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.